You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. In the beginning of the Parsha, uh, of which he is the eponym, uh, Yisro sh- shows up at the uh, camp of the Jews um, at Sinai. Um, he's greeted by Moshe Rabbeinu. He offers advice to Moshe Rabbeinu about relieving the burdens of uh, public administration. Moshe takes the advice, and in the end, Perak Yudchet, Pasuk Chavzayim, we read, Vayishalach Moshe et Chosno, Ve'elech lo el Arzo. Moshe sends his father-in-law away, and he goes back to his Eretz, um, to his land. Okay, so the ambiguity, there are a number of ambiguities in that story. First of all, when does Yisro show up relative to Matan Torah? Um, that's not our issue. There is the question, uh, which is our issue, about whether Moshe, is that an amicable parting, or is it uh, Moshe sort of uh, withdrawing the welcome mat from Yisrael, and that creates all sorts of challenges in terms of how Moshe actually relates to Yisrael's advice. Um, but what's interesting to us this week is that we go to Parshas Baloscha, and Parshas Baloscha we have a much more uh, elaborate conversation leading to departure between Moshe and Chovev ben, uh, ben, Chovev ben Ruel Hamidiani Chosein Moshe. We work on the assumption, which I will, that this is the same uh, same person, that that this is Yisro. Um, so then, this is a... Um, here, Moshe appears to try to persuade Yisro not to go. So that's a very different impression we get from Shmos. Moshe first says, uh, we're in Perak Yud, uh, Pasuk uh Chavtet. We are going we are traveling to the place which Hashem said, This is right, it it I will give to you. go with us, and we'll do good things for you, because God has spoken uh, to do good things to Israel. And now Yisrael says, he says, I won't go. The only place I will go is to my Eretz and my Moledet. Right, there's also a difference because in Yisrael he just um, he's, he's, he goes to Artso, but here he mentions both Artso and his Moledet. And then Moshe says, "I'll not azovotanu. Please don't um, leave us. Please don't abandon us. Really, um, to figure out what that means, uh, because you know our encampments or knew our encampments in the desert." And you have been, uh, or you will be for us, right? Tenses are always uh, confusing um, as eyes. And if you came with us, so then that very good which Hashem will give to us, we will do to you. We don't know what the response is. Then they travel. Um, the Aaron is in front of them, and um, for three days, and they are only three days in front of them to check, right, to check out for encampments, it seems, whatever means there. And there's the Anan uh, guarding them as they, uh, as they move. Okay, so it's kind of odd, right? Why is it that we are not told Yisro's response? Does he stay um, or does he leave? And Right, why is this episode interjected here? There's no paragraph break even after uh, after Moshe offers it to Yisro again. And what's the nature of the conversation? Right, Moshe says, "Please." Moshe says, "Come." 
Yisra says no, and Moshe says please come. So the only difference that Moshe says uh, Moshe says please the second time and not the first time, or is there something a substantive point that Yisra made other than about I guess about wanting wanting to be asked more? And Moshe responds, and is right. What what is that substantive point, and is Moshe's response to it? Um, how is Moshe responsive to it? To it, and is Moshe's response enough? So let's take a look at how Rashi reads this. So Rashi first tells you, So the first thing he says is that Moshe tells Yisroel, right, Miyad, we're going to the, to Israel right now because that's his assumption right now. Why won't right the fate of the Miraglim hasn't happened yet? The many time other than the haven't happened yet, so why shouldn't we go in immediately? The suggestion I think of Rashi is that this is a reasonable statement to Yisro. Come right, we're going to the land. Whereas if Moshe said we're about to wander for thirty-nine years in the desert, and that's what you're going to do because you're all going to right because we're all going to die, uh, it's the next generation that's going in. Then that would not have been so reasonable a request um, to Yisro. This revolves around the ambiguity as to what extent does Yisro convert, and what are the what are the relationships. Uh, what is his relationship to the national identity of the Jewish people as opposed to the religious identity of the Jewish people? Um, but the first thing, right, it sounds like even Rashi agrees, right, that's the point, or at least Moshe understands that to ask Yisro to join them on a on a, on a uh, 39-year trek to nowhere uh, is not a reasonable request, and you would expect Yisro to leave. Okay, and Moshe, Rashi says, Moshe expects to go in himself also. Uh, right, so he says, "No, we are all going. We are all going to that place because Moshe has not committed a sin that will stop him as uh, stop him either." So then it would be kind of odd if, if Moshe makes this request and eventually talks Yisro into it, and then it turns out it doesn't work, and Yisro never gets there uh, and wanders around the desert for forty years like everybody else. That would be an interesting, ironic end, which perhaps the Torah should have picked up on at some point. Okay, Yisro's responded, "El Artivel Molati." I'm going to go back to my land, meaning because I have property there, and why would I stay here in the desert when I have property back in Midian? So that relates to the whole question of whether Chisro is an, you know, is actually nomadic. Does he have property? Does he have land property as opposed to movable property? Fine, but he's, uh, um, and secondly, because of family. So it sounds like Yisro's um, preserving his connection with his family. He hasn't brought his whole family, he just brought Sipora perhaps, and Moshe's sons, but left his whole family there, and he maintains his family, uh, he maintains his family ties. Moshe says, I'll not to Azob, there's still a Rashi, don't, right? Ain't no Eloloshon Bakasha, Rashi says. No means that Moshe's pleading with him, asking him, right, for my sake and not just for yours. Why? Shaloyomru lo nisgari Yisro mechiba. So Moshe really puts an enormous burden on Yisro. Rashi assumes that Yisro has converted, and Moshe puts an enormous burden on him. And he says, you are the symbol of conversion. You are the person who saw whatever God did uh, for us, right? right? That's what Yisro says, right? Um, right? And Moshe tells him, And Yisro converts because he's overwhelmed, right? Question is it or Torah, whatever whatever it may be, some, something something overwhelms him, Kriyas Yamsuf. Um and now what would happen if it turns out that you know what, that just affected Yisro for a while. And now he's had enough. That will undermine the whole credibility of the experience in the eyes of the world. 
nobody else will be persuaded of the truth of Judaism uh, anymore. So it right, so Moshe puts an enormous burden on uh, on Yisroel, which suggests that you know, part of the purpose of maybe he's worried about the effect on the Jews themselves, um, and you know, and that and this is an enormous burden to place on the convert that you know your your faith because you weren't born to this because you're coming from somewhere else. We need your faith as a model for our own community to maintain its faith. Or maybe Moshe really has a certain uh, evangelical uh, interest. He wants everyone else to realize it. Or maybe it's a military purpose, as we see uh, when they actually get there, right? That the the idea that God is with the Jews has an enormous, provides us with an enormous military advantage as we enter Canaan. That's why Rachel says we've all heard, right? In the Mogul Kol Yishvei Hanan, and Yisrael coming and leaving, so that will make the resistance uh, that much more uh, difficult. Not clear which way Rashi, um, Rashi reads it. So please don't leave us. That's what Moshe says. Um, right, so what exactly is it that they'll say? Right, Rashi's version of this is right, a little different than the way I said it out. Other Midrashim say it that way. They'll say, you know what? The fact that it wore off means that really Yisro never converted out of religious attraction. Yisro thought that converts had a share in the land of Israel, and he converted for the land. Now that he realizes that converts have no share in Eretz Israel, um, they don't have land inheritance, so he's just leaving. Okay, now how it is that people know what Yisro thought, and how they know that, and how they suddenly know that that it's not that it's not true. That's a whole interesting question, but that's the way Rashi sets up the dialogue. That Moshe says. I'm afraid that people will think that your motive for conversion was commercial. Um, okay. And Yisrael says to him, uh, so, but Yisrael already said, I want to go back to my lands, right? So this dialogue is building, presumably Yisrael said, I want to go back to my land. And Moshe says, but if you want to go back to your land, people will say that your conversion was only for the sake of land. And we don't know if that convinces Yisrael or not. Uh, really interesting question. Okay. What does that mean? Clarashi says one possibility is you have served for us as a Naim. The other possibility is you will serve for us um, as a Naim. But what does that mean? Does it mean that you're scouts? Rashi, right? Or it just means you give really great advice, the way you did in Parshish Yisrael, connecting the stories. Um, or that you'll be, right? that this is in origin like Ishoneno, um, right? that you'll be, you know, the closer we come, you'll be the apple of our eye. We'll love you. Okay. But Yisrael's. Um, that the mitzvah of Asager is not created in between the first line of Yisro and the second. First line Moshe offers Yisro the second. So what's the second? So Rashi says, the second offer Moshe gives is as follows. Um, uh, right, so look, you saw all, so it might be you saw all the things that happened while we were camped in the desert, or Rashi might be picking up on the Midrashim that think Hanoseinu means the chaim that God showed us in the Midbar, and if that word's enough to convince you. Um, but again, this is all in the minds of observers, right? Moshe's not trying to convince Yisro, how can you leave? You saw all these things. He's saying, how can you leave? People will say you saw, uh, if you say all these things. Uh, perhaps, although Rashi tries to avoid that, he worry about things, but also, right, you should do this, right? Because you saw everything God did for us. But in the end, Moshe has to make another offer, and here's the other offer. Vaya tovahu. So when the Jews were dividing the land, Right, 
So at the time when the Jews came into Eretz Yisrael, they know there's going to be a Beit HaMikdash, and they know there's going to be a fight about whose who's, land the Beit HaMikdash is going to be, and everybody wants the prestige of having the Beit HaMikdash in their lands. So they take this very, very large section of farmland around Jericho, and they say, we're not going to distribute this land, so whoever is... Um, it's not clear which way which way Rashi is saying it is. Uh, sorry, it's the other way around. Right? We know that we actually know we know that whoever the base of interest land is built in. Interesting that Rashi assumes it that way. Right? Will feel that they know there's been a public taking, and they've taken, uh, and some of their land has been taken for public purposes. So we're setting aside this amazing field that will be compensation for the taking of the Beit HaMikdash. Amr Mishi Yibaneh Beit HaMikdash Bechalko, Hu whoever has the Beit HaMikdash built in their land, they will get this unapportioned land at that time to compensate for the um, for the taking. And, but what do we do with the land meanwhile? It's unapportioned. So that land is given to Yisro until the building of the Beit HaMikdash. So they, for 440 years or so, Yisro gets to, um, Yisro and his descendants get to live get the use of fruct of that land. They don't own it, but they get all the products of it, and then Beit HaMikdash is built, and it gets given, and it gets taken away. So that's a really interesting notion that Moshe offers is temporary land. Um, the Maharal in Gur Arye tries to argue that the temporariness is not, it's not really temporary, because they will always be known as the people who had the land that was uh, taken for the Beit HaMikdash, and so it offers them a certain kind of um, social uh, of social prestige, I think, um, but it still, you know, it still seems uh, not a fem- 440 years is not ephemeral, but maybe it even increases the injustice. They've been living there for so long, and at the end, it gets taken away. So, if that was the offer, you can understand why um, Yisro might say no, because he's concerned about his descendants and not just about him, and they're and they're going to um, end up having it taken away from them. The version that says they did take it. Uh, suggest that after they take it at some point they end up being uh, being purely being purely nomadic okay so that's where that's where uh, Rashi ends up that Moshe's second offer right Yisro says no why does he say no because well I have my land and my family somewhere else why should I be here and be landless so Moshe offers him something in the way of land but not really full Land holdingness, even though Maral tries to dress it up and claim that you know, that he'll always be known as the Duke of of Yericho in some sense, and maybe Israel says no, and that's why Vayelech Lo Alarto, which is the you know the simplest reading is that Moshe, is that Yisro is not convinced because it's right if it's the same story as um, as Shmot. There is a right, the reason that you might think that Yisro does take the offer is that there's a pasuk in um, in Shoftim. And Shoftim, right, we read that the Bnei Keni Chotein Moshe Alu Meir HaTzmarim, right, so Bnei Keni Chotein Moshe, right, another name for Chotein Moshe, right, how we get that. They do live in Ir Tzmarim, and Ir Tzmarim, we learn in Devarim, uh, it's the last thing that Moshe sees. Um, Moshe sees when Hashem, Hashem, uh, Hashem shows him the whole land in the beginning of, of uh, uh, before he dies in Zodat Bracha, uh, right, right, uh, uh, the last thing he says is begat Yericho Iratzmarim Adzar. So Iratzmarim is Yericho. So that's how we get that connection. And maybe uh, maybe Yisro did accept it, or maybe he allowed 
some members of his family to um, some family to stay. Okay, I'm interested in this notion that um, Yisro says no, and he says no because there isn't land. And then Moshe offers him more land. What's the what's the un- the subtext of this language of this dialogue? So I assume that it's the subtext of the dialogue isn't that Yisro is being bribed to stay with the Jews. Is that right? That would not be. That doesn't seem like a convincing argument for conversion, right? And yeah, it makes it very cynical, right? Israel, in fact, has commercial motives, and Moshe says, but people will think you have commercial motives, so I will give you what you want in the way of land and possessions, and now people will believe you have sincere motives because you have commercial motives, right? That sounds very backwards. So a better understanding of this seems to be that Israel objects to converts not having land. And or at least he, right, he says, I'm religiously convinced, but I don't know why I should be part of this national people if I don't have an equal share. Um, and then the question is, so what is what moves between right? Moshe offers the Deshni Where what is that? Where does that idea come from? Right? What motivates Moshe to do this other um, to right to uh, to set to set this up? And what really is the what really is the uh, is the subtext of the story? So we should point out, right, that there's a you know, there could be a dark subtext of the story, although I have not found anybody who says this explicitly. But you do have um, one um, one commentary who one midrash that notices that um, that Moshe is the that Yadata Chalantem Midbar is that the Jews are hidden by Elanei Hakavod and nobody else knows where they are. And so Yisro is the only person outside the camp who knows where the uh, who knows where the uh, the Israelite encampment is, and so Moshe is worried about a security risk, and that would make sense if then Moshe is just bribing him, but that seems way too cynical for the character as presented elsewhere in Tanakh. Uh, so what could be uh, right? Orachayim says this, right? Um, or he suggests Yisro is the only one who knows who knows where the Jews are. He doesn't say it's a security risk. Maybe it just shows you really belong here, because otherwise God wouldn't have shown you where where um, where it is. But um, but you might see that as something of a uh, of a subtext. Okay. Another possibility is that Moshe, this is one of those places, like Benot Slavchad, where somebody makes a complaint. The halacha, Moshe Rabbeinu, as you have set it out, doesn't seem to match my sense of justice. Um, but here, the dialogue isn't is that it isn't framed that way explicitly in the text. And Moshe doesn't go back to God. But we can say, like, but Moshe comes up with an idea. Until Yisro makes this request, Moshe wouldn't have given him that land in Yericho. So what you have is a moral critique, which Moshe responds to as best he can, Within the bounds of halacha, as he understands it, um, but not as dramatically as Moshe. He doesn't go back to God and discover that actually the way he had set it up um, was unfair, and you know, we need to, we need to, and he needs to interpret halacha differently. A um, there are other versions um, in which uh, right Moshe comes up with another idea, which is he says, you know what, when God told us to divide the land. He only meant the uh, the narrow boundaries of of Israel, and that doesn't include the the part the, the land of Sichon and Og, because the land of Sichon and Og isn't part of the original boundaries. It's just something that we conquered because they opposed us and didn't allow us didn't allow us passage through. 
So Moshe, right, so in that version, Moshe actually offers Yisro a share in what becomes the halachic land of Israel in Aver, in Averhayer Dane. And so Moshe is thinking very hard on these circumstances, right? And she's saying, you know what? You're right, Yisro. And again, I assume that it's much better to read this as uh, idealistic rather than um, cynical. Really, you should have a portion in the land. Um, but I can't give it to you in the regular lottery, but we're going to expand the land. It's clear that Moshe, that Moshe knows by prophecy that Sichon and Og will oppose them, or he assumes that somewhere along the line there will be opposition. And therefore, I'm telling you that I will give you a share in that land when it comes. So that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting more radical. The, but the most radical, um, I should say, right, that the, to me, the, the Rishon who most dramatically sets this possibility up is the Chizkuni. Chizkuni says as follows, and will do good to you, from the booty of war, but to give them a share in the land, right? they didn't have, the Jews did not have uh, the authority necessary to give a share in the land, because that would be a violation of, of the halacha. Now, Ve'etavnulach shows up in both the first and second um, responses of Moshe to Yisrael. Assuming that Chizkuni, which, which is how it's set up, if Chizkuni is on Yudtet, is Chizkuni on the first of them, so Moshe's right, first response to Yisrael is, you're right, but I can't, right, halacha binds my hands. I can't give you a share in the land. And Yisrael says, okay, then I'm going home. And Moshe says, well, you know what? There's an area, right? Maybe there's a way in which we can work this out because Moshe's second offer has to be more than the first. Um, okay, let's take a look at the way um, Ramban uh, Ramban reads this. Um, okay, Moshe pleads with Yisro to come with them. And first he just says, and we'll do whatever good, whatever, we'll do good stuff for you, whatever you can. And he thinks, Yisro thinks that they'll give him from the booty, uh, right, gold and silver and clothing and and, and sheep and cattle, but he won't have a homestead inheritance amongst them, and that's why he doesn't want to go. And he responds, I'm going to go home then. Thank you very much. Because there I have an inheritance, I have property, and I am honored. And you are asking me to be a second-class citizen. As Amr Lamusha, Al Taz Natazovas and Amusha says, please don't leave, uh, because you're really practically useful and you give great advice. Now he doesn't just say it will be good to you, we'll give you from all the good that God gives to us. What does that mean? Ramaz Latetlo Achuzab Eretz Tuva Nitzharo Al Terchov Ezra Toa Shriaz Ramikibishwaraz. Moshe is hinting to him. That he will give him an achuzah, he'll give him a homestead, he'll give him an inherit, a, a heritable share in the, in the good land as a reward for his uh, for his help with the kibbutz aretz. And Rabban says, I think that Yisro accepted this. And he says, Rabban says, you know. I think that Moshe actually offered them land, and I think that Yisra accepted it. And the proof of this is a Brisa quoted in Yerushalmi, which says that so the, so the um, Mikra Bikurim, um, right, the declaration you make when you bring the first fruits to um, to the Beit Hamikdash, uh, includes includes the line 
Um, apologize, it clears the line. Um, Here maybe ve'inu kori this position of bikurim aleph dalid, right? The converts bring bikurim, but they don't. They can't read the declaration. We can't say God, God swore to our ancestors to give to us, uh, right? So that's part of a whole debate, um, right? We paskin, um, and right, the Raman says this very powerfully, both about bikurim and about benching and all other areas that uh, converts are included in all things promised to our ancestors. But really, I think the problem Bikurim is not the ancestors, that, um, but really the problem is let's head Lanu to give to us, and if you don't have a share in the land, so how can you say that? Um, so the Ramban says, but the Yerushalmi quotes a statement there which says that the descendants of Yisro specifically could read. Um, so presumably, they do have a share in the land, and how could they have a share in the land? So it must be that Moshe Rabbeinu promised them uh, a share in the land. Ramban does not tell us exactly where that share is, so... One right, so one possibility is, is, is he he too is talking about Dishnah Shlirifo. The other possibility is he's talking as actually Orachaim also suggests, as I mentioned earlier, he's talking about land that will be conquered outside the boundaries within which the lottery um, the lottery took place. Um, and each of these are ways of evading what Chasuni says is Moshe's initial response, which is that um, which is that we have no authority to give you land and we can't change the halacha just because you have a moral critique. So the really interesting thing is, is that there are, if you take a look at Yechezkel, Perak Mem Zayin, Gimel, you read the following. Uh, so here's Yechezkel describing the re-lottery of the land that will take place in Messianic times. So you should make it fall by lot to, um, as an Achala to you, and also to the converts who have families and therefore have right have heirs who will uh, who can inherit land. And converts will be part of the lottery of the land, just like born Jews. There's no separate. Uh, there's no separate locations. They just, right, converts just become part of the lottery um, like everyone else. So what are we supposed to do with that claim, right? So now, right, the most radical way of reading that is that um, Moshe Rabbeinu's response to Yisro, even though we don't have him going back to God, is to say, you know what, you have a point, and to give him land. So can we read it that way? So the Sufri says that you can't read it that way. Uh, so Sufri says that how how can I how can I reconcile the claim that uh, the right the standard halacha that converts have no share in the land with the psukim yechaskel? Uh, right, the Sifri derives specifically from what Moshe says to Yitro in the first version. Right, I will give I I will give it to you, right you right you being those who are already Jews. How do I sustain the Psukim Nechezkel? 
So it can't tell you me anything about um, about inheritance of land, so it must be talking about the capacity of converts to acquire atonement with tribal sacrifices. Um, or alternatively, right, even darker, it gives converts the right to be buried in the land of Israel. Right? So we give converts the same rights as Maharam uh, Avinu asks on B'nai Ches. So the Sifri says, nope, right, if we have these Sukkim in Yecheskel, but you simply, um, they can't mean what they say. And this is probably one of the things that kept Chania up all night in uh, reconciling Sefer Yecheskel with Torah. And we have a fine resolution. But the Menu and Yans are never terribly compelling, uh, at least often not terribly compelling. And this one, right, it says, it's very specifically, make it fall by lot. And the answer is, it's talking about burial. Very, very, uh, or it's talking about atonement. Very, very odd. Um, what are we supposed to do with this? That's what the Sifri um, says. Well, the interesting thing to me is that none of the commentaries on um, on Yecheskel that I can find, looking at Torah, mention the Sifri. That's not the way they. Um, that's not the way they don't. They don't. They don't. They don't read it. Um, that they don't read it that way at all. But it, um, the best way of summarizing. Uh, right? They all just say, you know, what it means is that converts will inherit the land. And I think the best summary of the way in which the traditional commentaries read Yechezkel is in Abravanel. Abravanel says that, what, what does it mean? He says, It's true that the original division of the land, the time of, uh, the time of Yeshua, that was not, did not include converts. But he says that's because those were the converts who came in when we were on the rise, uh, with the Erev Rav coming, coming coming with the Jews from coming with the Jews from Mitzrayim, who are right we're in a time of power. So they the Erev Rav did not deserve uh, a share in the land. But he says when we when it comes to messianic times, all the people of all the families of converts among us they will not have converted um, it because of the Messianic era, and he says, right, even in the Gemara that says that we don't accept converts in Messianic times because we're suspicious of their motives. So everybody who joins the Jews during our period of exile, well, they certainly deserve a share in the land, and so the halacha will be different in Yimos HaMashiach. Yisro is kind of right, a halfway position because he's not the heir of Rav. He didn't, right, he didn't come out of Egypt. So right, maybe Yisro is an, is, an intermediate, is an intermediate stage. He has a moral critique because there was a good reason to keep the Erev Rav perhaps from having land in Israel, and Yisrael is an isolated case. But this is a, um, the way Abravanel, and I think most traditional commentators resolve it, is by claiming that the halacha about converts not having land only applies to the first division and not the second. And this has halachic consequences, the Kafos Kamarim, and others uh, point out that this means that when you have land, you know, you have these sort of uh, legal mechanisms that, where you can only transfer land by connecting it to your Dalad Amot in Eretz Yisrael. Um, so those those applied to converts as well must be because of the anticipation that they right that the land is really theirs underneath it, where right? um, they have a share in the next division, which is, uh, which is what uh, which is enough to matter halachically right now. So that I think is an, um, is an, if you haven't heard it before, it's a pretty astounding reading. Um, that um, really, really, the all the halachot about 
uh, about converts about converts uh, disability in land um, only apply to only apply to the first division and not the second. Now the question is, uh, right? Another way of reading it is to say that the question that Yisro asked Moshe Rabbeinu, whether Moshe Rabbeinu convinced him in the end or not, ultimately, um, that's what persuaded Yechezkel, that there had to be a way to read it. And so Yechezkel said, okay, so that was the halacha then, but there's no reason that should be the halacha the next time around. Um, but the Sifri doesn't paskin that way. Now, we don't, you know, it's hard to know what we paskin, um, in those circumstances, but you could see the Sifre as sort of a pushback. No, that can't possibly be. You were, right, you were too, you were too, too taken with the, um, with the emotional appeal of, of Yisro, and that's not a convincing read of Torah, and now we have to choose between a convincing read of Torah and a convincing read of Yechezkel, and so the traditional commentators, you know, we end up with, take a convincing read of, of Yechezkel, but the Sifrei took a, took a convincing read of Torah, and some reconciliation, right, that's why Yisro and Torah and Yechezkel on Halacha are hard to reconcile, and so we can see this as a, an ongoing challenge on the one hand, you know, as we talk about America and the and the obligation of presidency born here, right? So there are always recognitions that there are certain rights that make sense to distinguish in some ways between born citizens and um, and naturalized citizens. On the other end, the Torah says over and over again, There has to be one law. This seems like a very major difference. Uh, and, and has all sorts of invidious consequences. We can find all through halacha that um, that the lack of land inheritance, right? For example, if you think that the whole the, you know, one of the points of land inheritance is to prevent economic, uh, you know, that prevent poverty and vast economic differences. So that's why you have to constantly protect converts because they're the ones who don't have um, or who don't have that land as a fallback. So it creates uh, it creates it creates economic challenges, which create moral challenges. So you understand why there would be uh, why there would be pressure the other way. And halacha is still in flux, and we'll have to find out in Inyan uh, Hashemashiach which way which way we paskin. I, I'm hoping we paskin, I guess, like the uh, like the, the commentators on Yechezkel. But I want to make one more point. The whole conversation only happens because Moshe talks to Yisro, and if Moshe hadn't spoken to Yisro, so then we don't know if any of this conversation would have taken place. So there's one other um, line of interpretation, which is also in the Sifri, uh, which is the Yisrael uh, So remember, we talked about how that could be either a past or a future. So what would it mean? By Yisrael, right? So the uh, Sifri points out that the Sanhedrin is called Sanhedrin is called the eyes of the community. Um, so means that Moshe promises Yisro a seat on the Sanhedrin uh, if he stays with them. Now that's an interesting uh, response. Now there is a because Yisro in a sense is the one who first proposes the whole idea of a Sanhedrin. So Moshe says, obviously you're worthy of this and so I offer you a seat on it. Uh, but how is it responsive to Yisro's critique? Uh, Yisro says, I'm not staying. So they could just say, well, Yisro said, I, I get more covered at home. So Moshe says, well, we'll give you covered here, but that seems a very weak and cynical answer again as well. So the better explanation, it seems to me, is that Moshe says to Yisro, right now, I don't have a way 
to respond because we're in the Sifri again. Right? I don't have a way to fully resolve your moral critique of halakha as it is. And maybe there's a way, maybe there isn't. But I recognize the power of the, you know, that it's a valuable critique and that you have something to contribute by articulating it. And so I'm offering you a seat on Sanhedrin so that you'll get to make this argument to everybody. And if you win, right, that's part of doing it. Once you're part of the process, so then you have to stay with us and be bound by halakha because your voice is part of the halakhic system. Uh, now, this is an interesting thing because we also have a halakha that converts can't serve on the Sanhedrin. Um, so this that halacha that halacha also is in is an interesting move by Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, how he did it. So you can read all the explanations of this. Maybe the the um, whether you go right, which also show up in terms of the the uh, discussions of how Shmaya and Aftalia could be the Sanhedrin. So you can read all the the ways in which one can reconcile the halacha about Srara or about uh, Masima with the appointment of converts to those positions. Uh, or Soledic has a particularly creative uh, approach, but at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, there are people who like the Sifri in regarding land who say no, it can't really mean that there were converts on or heads of the Sanhedrin, and there are people who say no, right? There has to be a way for converts to be on the Sanhedrin, be on Sanhedrin. and it seems to me that you know, that um, the neatest way of reading the story. Is that Moshe, Yisro says I have a moral problem. Converts don't have land. Um, Moshe says I can't solve that problem, but I can give you a voice in the conversation, which may or may not end up solving the problem. And then I would go to Ramban and say that um, that Yisro is convinced, and we're still having the conversation, right? Because it seems like the position that Yisro advocates wins um, in Yecheskel. Um but every stage of halachic conversation is subject to reinterpretation, and so that is pulled back by um, by the Sifri. And we get to continue having the conversation. Um, and as with all other issues, we need to make sure that when we have that conversation, that um, the people who would be disadvantaged by the halacha as it is have the uh, capacity to fully participate in the conversation. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.